Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Today, I have the privilege of having Lisa McLeod from the Clan McLeod, author, speaker, best-selling author of Selling with Noble Purpose. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. And I do need to clarify, uh, Clan McLeod is a Scottish clan that my husband is a member of, so I married in. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes, that's true. Uh, so we met at the Sales 3.0 conference, and you were one of the keynote speakers there. And just that sense of we all have a purpose in life. And if you know what your purpose is, it allows you to use that in your sales career. And it makes you unstoppable because you're doing something that is worthy of you, something you were meant to do. So tell me how you came to this realization that we need to align purpose with our vocation. Well, you know, a lot of times when you think about sales, you hardly think of higher purpose. But what our research found was salespeople who truly wanted to make a difference to customers actually outsell salespeople who are focused on targets and quotas. And when you think about your higher purpose, a lot of people think, well, I'm, I should be feeding the poor. I should be you know, teaching underprivileged kids. And those things are wonderful. Having said that, when people are in commerce, what we know is the more you can align yourself around improving the condition of the other person and being really sincere and authentic in that, That's what human beings are hardwired for. We're hardwired to want to make a difference to others. And we also know how to read other people better than we think we do. So the salespeople who show up, who earnestly and factually say, I have a noble purpose, I'm here to improve your condition, will always be a salesperson who's showing up thinking, I'm just here to close the deal. Brilliant. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, no matter what you do, there's a satisfaction you get out of it. There's a remuneration, can't say the word today, that you get out of it. But if you could align it with who you are and what your purpose is, then it makes your heart smile, right? And then that's where courage comes from. And that allows you to stay strong and keep on going so you have that tenacity that you need. That's right. Because the thing that we're seeing, especially now, for those who are listening, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And if you have defined yourself by money, if you have defined your company's purpose as hitting your targets, if you've defined your personal purpose by uh, your commissions, you're going to be very challenged right now. And you're going to find that your self-confidence is really waxing and waning. But if you've got something bigger, it is not without coincidence. Companies with a purpose bigger than money actually outperform the market by over 350%. Because if your constant is I am here to make a difference to my customers, then you're going to be able to weather the ups and downs a lot better. So this is where I kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think we each have a purpose. Uh, My purpose is to be a joyful educator. So when I was selling, uh, part of what I did was I got maybe 30% of my job was educating people and figuring out what they needed. And that education part was a joy in what I did. And now what I do uh, for a living is almost 80, 90% 
education. And so it makes me smile. And if I can use that to help the other person, that makes me even happier. So how do you think about personal purpose versus a noble purpose? How do the two align? Uh, well, it's a good point because they do have to align. And I think about it in three ways. You need to understand what your company's purpose is. And it has to be about making a difference to customers. That's the whole reason any business is in existence. Then you have to understand how your job plays a role in that. But then the third piece is your personal purpose. And your personal purpose needs to be aligned around the essence of who you are as a human being. And I think what happens is people tend to separate the money and the meaning so they think, well, my job is sort of this commerce thing that I do over here on the side. Mm -hmm. My personal purpose is what I'm going to do with my family, with my church. And what I'm suggesting is the more aligned you can get the two of those things, the more successful you'll actually be. And one of the things we do a lot of um, video content, and we've done a lot of courses for LinkedIn Learning. And one of my favorites is Finding Your Purpose at Work. And there's a, a chapter in there called finding the meaning in the mundane. And when you infuse your daily task with a sense of greater purpose and the essence of who your soul is calling you to be, you will enjoy them a lot more. So give me an example in your life, something that's mundane that you've aligned with purpose so it gives the listeners and the viewers, oh, I know exactly what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that when we do uh, big consulting projects. Some parts of it are really fun and really great. Um, when we help people, salespeople speak to a greater purpose, we help them be more emotionally compelling. We help leaders be more emotionally engaging. Super fun. Here's the part that's not so fun is culling through pages and pages of presentations and PowerPoints that are widely, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, they're really boring. And we have to go through pages and pages and pages of those to find the nuggets. And sometimes I look at these documents and people go, oh, here's more, here's more. You know how people think they're helping you by giving oh, you absolutely. more documents? And it just sometimes I just want to shoot myself when I look at these. And so one of the things that I did was I changed my frame. Instead of going through them and being so annoyed that these are so boring, I said, you are looking for that magic moment that when you pull it out, you're going to transform this whole sales force. That's what you're looking for. You're hunting for gold, this magic moment. Now I'm still going to have to go through a lot of pages of boring crap, but it's a different mindset coming you know, into I've, it. I've changed my mindset. So instead of, Oh, this is so boring. It's so terrible. Where's the good stuff. It's nothing's good in here. <laughs> now I, now I envision not just the magic moment, but what I envision is what's going to happen to every single salesperson on that team or every single leader when I find that. That's going to become the language of their company. So help me understand this. So let's say you've got a company with 30 salespeople. Mm -hmm. You work with the company to find their noble purpose. Mm -hmm. And their purpose is to help nonprofits generate more revenue so they can help more people. Yeah. Now, salesperson A is a helping sort and that uh, they align with that. It's like they were naturally wired that mm -hmm. way. Salesperson B, their whole purpose is slightly different. It's not that. 
Like they'll do that. So how do you align the sales team with the company's noble purpose? Because it may not be their individual connection or their purpose. It may not be their individual connection. That's right. And so the there's a key question that we use. So we do a lot of work on individual purpose and what's your purpose type. Some people help by supporting, some people help by leading. So you got to get clear on what's your secret sauce, what gives you the mojo. And then what we say is there's a really key question and it's so simple, but it's so powerful is when you ask a sell, a salesperson, how will the customer be different? as a result of doing business with us, which is a very different question is most people ask. Yes. Most people say, you know, what are we going to sell them? How much is it going to be? But when you say, how will the customer be different? And the salesperson starts talking about that. Well, they'll be able to do this better and this better and this better. And then you ask, and what's the best way you personally can help them with that? You totally reorient the call because what happens is when you are clear that my job is to help this person improve, you go into it with a different mindset. And then when you add to that clarity about what your secret sauce is, Mm -hmm. it's a game changer. Brilliant. Uh, Mm -hmm. You saw me take a note. I'm going to go back to the interview at the nine-minute mark to to listen to that again, because I think it's really important, because ultimately, at the end of the day, our superpower is the questions that we ask. Yeah. Because you can tell people all day long and nobody cares about what you have to say. But if you ask them a question and get the epiphany uh, that that helps us as consultants, but more importantly, helps them go, oh, my God, that's what it is. So so brilliant, brilliant question. Well, you know, you asked about doing mundane things. And I'm thinking about something that happened to me about 15 years ago. And mm-hmm. I did not realize that it was a precursor to writing Selling with Noble Purpose. At the time, I was working for a big sales training company, and I was running their programs as a contract trainer. My kids were young, and so I right. was a contract sales trainer seven, eight, nine days a month. And I, that meant I ran the same program lots of times. And it was a good program. I liked it. It's one of the most popular ones out there. But when you're doing the same thing over and over again, you can get really bored of it. And so I had flown in the night before, and I had little kids. I'd flown in the night before, the mess up with the flight, the hotel. I mean, I was operating on like four or five hours of sleep, and I was finding myself thinking, just get through this damn thing. Just just do it. And I go into the bathroom before the thing's going to start. And I'm in the bathroom stall and all I'm thinking about is how long is this day and how could I possibly get through this? I'm in the bathroom stall and I hear these two women talking at the sink and one of them goes, oh, I'm so excited to be here. I've been on the waiting list for six months. And another one goes, oh yeah, I had to you know, hit all my targets before my boss would approve me to come to this. And I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm just thinking to myself, oh my God, Lisa, you're blowing it. This is one of a hundred to you. And you're just trying to get through it. These people are waiting six months for this. Get your shit together, girlfriend. And so I, it was a transformative moment to me because I realized it may be one of a hundred to me, but it's the only one for them. And they deserve it. All right. So let me uh, pause you there for a moment, if I may. As best as you can, could you go back in your mind to that moment being in the stall and really see whatever you saw is probably the stall door or nothing mm-hmm. like unless it was cute graffiti there, and then hear what they were saying. And when you do those two things, you get to re-experience what you were feeling when you had that insight. What were you feeling and where in your body did you feel it? 
That is a great question. So where I felt it was, I felt it in my chest because it was a deep knowing. Kind of the heart. In the heart. Centered, yeah. Because prior to that, my whole body was exhausted. Just exhausted. And and that's real. If you're exhausted, nothing's going to make sense to you. My whole body was exhausted and I was about to stand up in front of a room for eight hours and run a seminar. So that's real. If I could go back to, you know, 35 year old young mother, Lisa, I would say, oh, sweetie, you it's okay to feel bad. But when those women were speaking, I could feel this deep resonance of truth in my chest because I could feel that what they were saying was of profound importance. And and I've thought about that so many times with so many salespeople, so many leaders. This may be, you may be an event planner and do a hundred weddings a year. This person's doing one. You may be, you know, the salesperson who's closing this big technology deal and you're trying to close 10 this month. This is the only time the customer is going to make this decision. And so the the understanding that what you're doing may be one of many to you, but it's the only one for them. It's a game changer. True. And you could tell that to a uh, hundred salespeople and maybe two of them will go, oh my God, that's amazing. The rest mm-hmm. of them wouldn't. But what you described there is we have anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 beliefs that define who we are. Most of those we get by the time we're seven. Mm-hmm. And then those special 5% that we get new ones are moments like that where something profoundly not only changes here, but changes there. And and one of those moments for me was there's this amazing woman called Victoria Labom. And oh, she's her. a really, isn't she amazing? She is. And uh, I asked her a question. It's like, uh, you know, some of these speakers out there, they're doing the same presentation like a hundred times. I'd want to get a gun and just shoot myself. And she goes, think of not them. Think about people that do Broadway plays that last for 10 years. They're doing thousands of those things. And what they do is they have to relive every moment on stage. And if they relive it properly, it connects with the audience. Mm -hmm. So if you're going through rote, the audience is going to know but if you're experiencing that joy or that anger or that sadness as an actor, it's new to you. And that was a life-changing event. It was like, okay, what I need to do is not go on stage and deliver the same program, although it's going to be very similar. But if I actually step into the feelings of each one of those moments, that is super interesting for me because it's like a new experience and it connects with the audience better, that we're in charge of how we feel and how we connect. And it's those moments in time that can change our lives for the good and also, unfortunately, for the bad. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, which I think is timely, is my hypothesis is is that after this shutdown, in case people look at this in the future from 3219, it's COVID-19 is what we're talking about, is that when they get back, they're going to be hankering to get back. But I wonder what this is going to do to their psyche. That when they get back, how is this going to make them show up? My hypothesis is uh, it's going to injure the soul of everybody. And as leaders, we need to get people Mm -hmm. to cross that threshold and get back to uh, being part of a team. It is going to affect the soul of everyone. And I'm going to have a different take. I think for the majority of people, it is going to expand their soul. And by that, I mean, if you've ever been through a, a profound experience, and, mm-hmm. and let's just be honest here, people are going to know people that pass away. 
there yes. is going there is real human suffering and one of the things that happens and i've observed this in myself having been through a few um very personal deaths with people very close to me is it gives you pause and you start to think about yourself and you think who am i and why am i here and you're faced with the fragility of life and for a lot of people, they might turn away from it. But in my experience, the majority of people lean into it and they do some deep self-reflection. And what's happening here is different than what's happened before, because what's happened before is you have this profound experience. You know, when I was in my 20s, my early 20s, I lost my mother um, and I had this profound experience. But then I go back to work and no one else has had this profound experience. Right. Or you're in um, New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina hits and you all have this shared experience, but the rest of the world didn't. And so what's different now is everyone is sharing this experience and everyone is thinking, what do I stand for? Who am I? What's important to me? And we're all going to go back to work at some point. And so my hope is that this is very much a spirit expanding and I, and I don't want to minimize the suffering and I don't want to say this is a good thing, but like, here's where we are. So we have to deal with it. And I think people are going to have less tolerance for the superficial after this. So a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, the other major experience for us in the near term was 9-11. Mm-hmm. And that had a lasting impact in some ways for a long time, but in a lot of ways after like a, a year People went back to the new norm and it changed and maybe even shorter than that, where it's like, hey, you're my brother and I need to help you. And we came together as a nation. The second data point is I think there's three versions of who we are for each one of us. There is the version we show the outside world. And I call this the illusion. Look at me. I'm pretty. I'm smart. I'm amazing. I'm coping with this virus kind of thing. Or some people might call it the Facebook version of ourselves, which the Facebook version of me is happier and Better mentally adjusted, by the way. The second version of ourselves is the delusion. This is who we think we are. And I think there's a third version, which is the actual us. So it'll be interesting how we navigate those three places, because there's a few people out there that uh, who they actually are is who they think they are, and who they think they are is who they project in the world. And once in a while, you hear people, you know, when John's at home with his family, is the same person you see you know, on the runway in Hollywood or whatever. So I think it'll be interesting how we navigate those three because some people are going to come back to work and it's like, hey, everything was okay. I'm fine. Family's fine when things may not. So it'll be interesting how we navigate that humanness that's always been there. And I think that's where it's the job of the leader. So I'll tell you one more data point and then I'll kind of put it back over to you. I was doing this crazy thing last year where it was rappelling down a building in Baltimore to raise money uh, for a charity. And so it's like 27 stories up. And when you get to the edge of the building, it's freaking scary. And at that moment, I thought, I don't know these people, but I know the executive director of the charity. It's the Kidney Foundation uh, chapter in Baltimore. And I trust her. And I am taking the trust for her and mapping it over to these people that have my life in their hands. And bringing that all together, I think it's the job of the leader to reinstill that trust in them and say, look, I've got you. It's going to take a little while to get back to normal. But if people can leverage their trust that the leader has in them to allow them to move forward, I think that's going to be crucial. So our job as uh, trainers is how do we train 
our leaders to be that person. So from your point of view, what do leaders have to do when they come back to work with everybody to make people feel grounded and safe and go on this new journey of rebuilding? So the first thing they have to do is before they get back to work, empathy. One of the things I often say is empathy is crucial, but in a crisis, empathy becomes a superpower. And so one of the things that we need to understand right now is a defining moment. It's a defining moment for every individual leader. It's a defining moment for every parent. It's a defining moment for every company. No one is going to forget how their boss or their company handled this. They're not. Yes. And so one of the things that leaders need to be doing right now is you need to hold space for other people's emotions because the biggest mistake a leader can make right now, whether people are working at home, wherever you are, is to say, okay, guys, we still got to do this. We said, you're going to get there, but that's not what you need to lead with. Leaders need to lead with empathy and say, I see you. So for example, the CEO of Texas Roadhouse donated his salary back to help all his employees get through it. One of the market analysts said, that's a drop in the bucket. It's like a million bucks. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what they need. And what the analyst was missing was that the gesture was a gesture of empathy. The gesture was saying, I see you employees. I am with you. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you. And and the psychological benefit of that was profound. All of those employees are going to tell their spouse, our CEO just gave his salary. It doesn't amount to that much money, but they know he is seeing us and standing with us. And so so in terms of what leaders need to do when they get back, don't wait. Start right now. Leaders need to say, I see you and I stand with you. And then the other thing that leaders can do that makes a huge difference is people are at varying degrees of resilience. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you build resilience is storytelling. If I were to Absolutely. sit here and I were to tell you, here's our numbers, here's here's what we need to accomplish, I'm not going to build your resilience. If anything, I'm going to be wearing it down. So the way you build resilience is you, as, a, as an individual leader, need to be telling your team stories or sharing things about times of people that have overcome. And so one of the things I was coaching a CEO the other day, and I said, you need to go watch a movie, go watch that movie, Harriet, go watch, go read a novel about, you know, the founding fathers or something just to remind you that people get through tough times. You need something to take yourself out of yourself. And that's what you can do for your team. And so those two things, holding space for their emotions and providing stories that build resilience might seem counterintuitive to getting business done, but they're actually how you create a confident team. Yeah. And I think the only thing I would add to that is, uh, and I'll tell you a story first, since you mentioned stories, I was at a wedding this uh, past summer and the priest comes up to the lectern or and says, you know, uh, I just want you to know that I uh, graduated from seminary a month ago. and this is my first wedding because the other priest couldn't do it. And he was the first guy and 300 people in the audience applauded him. (laughs) And, and the reason I say that is if you try and hide the reality from your uh, employees and you say, you know, Hey, I'm really strong. We got this totally covered. We're going to be fantastic. We're going to be okay. Sometimes just coming in and saying, Hey, this is going to be a tough journey coming up. I, for me personally, this was the challenge I had at home. But the one thing I do know is 
together we can make this happen. And some of you are going to be able to get back on track right away. And we really appreciate that. Some people are going to struggle a little bit. If you struggle, put up your hand and your entire team is going to help you do that. And they kind of lay out, it's okay to be in any one of these groups. And together we're going to, this is the vision. This is what we're going to do. That kind of stuff just grounds what you just said mm -hmm. in bedrock. And I think, uh, and I'm taking notes here, by the way. So I'm going to use this. Uh, my employees are two cats, right, Tiggy? Tiggy's inspired already. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I do think this is a level for leaders to step into true authenticity. And there was a story that stuck with me many, many years ago that I read in Good to Great. And it was the story of Admiral James Stockdale surviving and being the leader in a POW camp for seven years. Yes. And one of the, the principles that Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, took away from listening to Stockdale's story was that you have to have the ability to maintain the unwavering faith that you will prevail and look at the brutal facts of your situation. And a lot of people are talking about being optimistic, but, uh, you know, I'm an optimist myself, but uninformed optimism actually causes you to lose credibility with your team. And so if you Absolutely. say things like, hey, I, you know, I think it's going to be over in two weeks. Well, a couple of things happen. One, your team knows it's not. So you, it, or if they believe you, then two weeks from now, you have to reset again. And right. so you, you have to keep constantly resetting yourself. But if you s say, I know we're going to get through this, there's some version of okay on the other side. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And you've got to point your team towards we're, we're here to be here for each other, for our families and our customers. Because once you take that focus outside of yourself, you actually make people stronger. Absolutely. And, uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. This is like a, a, a really great conversation and I think it'll help a lot of people because what you're describing is coming back to that noble purpose. It's that humanness of leadership mm -hmm. and connection with our employees and nothing you've suggested is like super difficult to do is just be authentic, be yourself and care for the people that you lead. Lead empathy is a superpower during a crisis. Absolutely. Lisa, we're going to put all your contact information in the show notes. Any last thoughts with our listeners and viewers, uh, something you suggest they do or keep an eye on before we part company? So I'll give you a really funny tip. Yes. Be the movie version of yourself. About 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I met Erin Brockovich, the real Erin Brockovich. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you'd have told me when I was going through that, that one day they were going to make a movie of this and Julia Roberts was going to play me. I would have thought you were nuts. And what I took from that was people are going to look back on how you behaved and whether they make an actual movie of you or whether it's just the movie playing in the minds and hearts of your people, your family, act like the movie version of yourself. How are you going to want to be remembered in this time? Are you a leader of great purpose and empathy? You probably want to act like that. So let me add to that just before you part company. I was working with this uh, salesperson in this organization. And I said, you know, tell me, uh, what do you tell your customers? What do you do? And he goes, boring, 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 boring. And it was like uh, uninspiring. 
It's like, okay, do me a favor. The CEO of this company is charismatic and powerful and articulate. I said, why don't you put on the mask, Chip's mask on for a moment and then tell me what your company does. And he does this powerful, elegant, eloquent, this is what we do. And so if you think about masquerade balls, I've never been to one, but uh, people put on masks and it allows them to act differently a better version of themselves. And I think what you're suggesting, this movie version of you, if you had that on, it's like, oh yeah, it gives you permission to be different today. And Mm -hmm. I think, thank you for sharing that. Lisa, it was a joy talking with you today and I can't wait for our next conversation. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 